Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. Uh, today we took the time to celebrate uh, All Saints Day, the day where we remember those who have gone before us. Uh, we drew from Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, uh, following the story of the Hebrews as they made their way to the promised land, only to be stopped at the banks of the Jordan River. Uh, we find and look to see how they relied on the faith of their parents and the generations past uh, to guide them as they journeyed into the future. Check out the sermon here. Good morning. My name is Andy Willett. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men whom he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When the Ark crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. Holy words for God's people. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. Um, it is great to be with you. Um, and I want to also welcome our, our uh, East Coast folks who are joining us online. I saw New Jersey and Philadelphia and Virginia uh, who are joining us as well. And from all the places you're worshiping, we're uh, grateful that we are having this chance to be together. Uh, yesterday, we, we hosted our annual event, Rock the Knock. Um, it's an opportunity for our community to come and have a safe environment to um, uh, trick-or-treat and to be part of community. And we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, later on. Um, but I want to tell you about an, an uh, uh, encounter I had. Um, I was sitting out front, or standing out front, greeting people coming in and, and welcoming folks and saying bye to those who are leaving. And uh, a family came up and they said, hey, can we talk to you for a second? And I was a little nervous, right? I was like, oh, what do we do wrong? I was trying to go through my mind of all the rooms and making sure that we were okay. And she pulled me to the side and she said, this is my daughter. And uh, she has allergies, food allergies. And this church is the only place that we could go to that, we would, that she could have a safe experience of trick-or-treating because we have honored this teal pumpkin uh, project. The teal pumpkin project is a, a project that um, if you put a teal pumpkin sign outside your door or, or, or a window, a sticker, uh, it signifies that there's things other than chocolate and candy available, uh, things like bubbles or slinkies or, or little things. Um, one in 13 kids, I found out, um, have uh, food allergies that makes trick-or-treating uh, really difficult. Um, and, and she said, thank you. And I looked um, to uh, Chris Cahill, who, if you get a chance to see him, please uh, uh, give him a big hug, or ask him first, and then give him a big hug, um, because he and his team put together an amazing event. And all of you, 
but we, we looked at each other and we said, it's, it, this is why we do it. Because we want to be a space and provide a space that all of God's people, all of God's children can come together uh, to have a safe and fun experience in community. Um, that, that they know that they are welcome here and that they belong. That there's nothing that could exclude them from God's love. What a joy to be part of this community in that way. I want to I I name that because we, we, we claim that every week. That we say that no matter um, your experiences, whether you've had great experiences or really tough weeks, you are welcome and that you belong. For exactly who you are, you are welcome and you belong. And especially for those of you who have been uh, discriminated against or pushed out of places, even places of worship, know that for this little while together, you are welcome and you belong. What that means for us is this. If you're a gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, or questioning, know that you're welcome. Know that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. If you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, if you are single or divorced, partnered or separated, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. With all of your unique gifts and abilities, created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, be present here and in all the places in which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you, none of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I found myself complaining this week. You would think that as someone who has lived in the Pacific Northwest for over seven years now, I would be well adjusted to and maybe even someone who appreciates the rain. But I found myself complaining this week. Yeah, I was grateful for the uh, cleaning out or clearing out of the smoke, but after one day, I was ready to be done. <laughs> I was uh, sharing with a friend about this. I was, I was complaining about how I had to dress the kids in layers, how we had to get our son new rain boots because he's grown since the last rainy season, how badly I wanted to carry an umbrella when I walk into school, but I can't because I don't want to seem like a tourist. My friend said two things to me. He said, first, uh, you realize I live in Oklahoma, right? <laughs> and two, he reminded me that it's because of the rain that we can experience the beauty of the green that surrounds us. And he was right. We who live in this region truly are surrounded by this green beauty. And yet... You know, there's a strip of road, uh, miles and miles of road, a, a couple hours outside of Washington, D.C. It, it's called Skyline Drive. You start in this little town. You, you pick up your coffee and cider and snacks, and, and then you enter into the Shenandoah National Park on this Skyline Drive, and you're surrounded by the leaves for miles on, on both sides, vibrant colors as far as your eyes can see. I remember one of our drives on Skyland Drive, we, 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 were, we stopped at one of the trailheads uh, along the way, uh, Joanne and I, we parked and we, we hiked a mile or so deeper into the forest to be let out into this clearing that overlooked the valley. 
And as we sat there with our dog, taking in the view of the valley with the hues of reds and oranges and yellows, a mom was walking and talking with her daughter about the leaves. And she said that the leaves changing was a sign of life happening. That the, that the leaves weren't dead yet, but that they were dying, being prepared to fall off as the trees were bracing themselves for the winter. And she said that the leaves told the stories of the seasons before, how their colors were indicators of the amount of moisture and humidity and heat and frost. They told stories of the seasons before, and they told the story of the seasons to come. There's something to that, I think. The, the, the stories of seasons before and the stories of seasons to come. Today we're, we're in Joshua, and, and we're, we, we find that the Hebrews, having wandered through this desert wilderness for 40 long and hard years, they're so close to the promised land. They're, they're so close to this place that they had so long dreamed about, this place that was promised to them by the same God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And the only thing that was separating them from this promised land was the mighty Jordan River, whose banks were overflowed, who created a, a, another challenge for them on this journey. I, I wonder how exhausted they must have been, how their bodies and their minds and their spirits must have felt, knowing that right there, right over there, was where they would rest, where they would live, where they could be Maybe some of them were wondering if God would do for them what God did for their parents when they found themselves in a similar situation. When they had just left Egypt with Pharaoh and the mighty army behind him and the Red Sea blocking their way. And at that time, God called Moses to reach out his staff over the Red Sea and their parents watched the seas part and they walked through on the dry land, beginning this journey to freedom that had led them to this point. Would God do that for them as well? But Moses is dead now, and Joshua is now the leader. And in God's great faithfulness, God does tell Joshua that God will indeed part the waters of the Jordan Except this time, the instructions are a little different. You see, this time, the people are supposed to start walking towards the Jordan River into the undivided Jordan River with the priest at the front of the line. I wouldn't have wanted to be one of those priests. Are you sure this is how it's supposed to go? Doesn't God divide the water first, then we walk through it? No, this isn't the time of Moses anymore. This is a new time, a new moment in their history. And I'd like to think that God expects the Hebrews to have learned something during those long days journeying through the desert wilderness. And the expectation is this, that the Hebrews have learned to walk by faith. Remember all those times their parents faced opposition from having to get out of Egypt, 
from having Pharaoh and the army push up to the Red Sea, from the times they lacked water, from the times they lacked food, and every time they began to despair, every time they wanted to turn back, God was faithful and provided for them. Wouldn't God show up now? We're told that it's not until the soles of the priest's feet touch the water that the Jordan was cut off, that the mighty waters stand in a single heap. What a step of faith. These Hebrews, they've been called to live by faith. The same faith that they've learned along the journey, the same faith that they have inherited from those who had been on the journey that they now continue. It's a faith that keeps moving. It's a faith that keeps them going. And it's a faith to hold on to because the journey doesn't end with them. The the journey continues. And the journey is going to be hard. You see, once the Hebrews enter into the promised land, it's not as if their lives suddenly get easy. Life, in fact, gets harder. The promised land was a place filled with adversity, with with obstacles, with challenges, with giants, with with other people who didn't want them to be there. The, The promised land was a place of struggle, and in order to survive there, let alone flourish there, the Hebrews had to have great faith. There are times when we need great faith, aren't there? Times when we too face adversity and obstacles, when we struggle, when we struggle with one another, when we even struggle with God. Times when we have to dig deep into that well of faith. And church, I don't think we always have enough. I think that there are times when the well feels empty, when the well well gets dry, when we can no longer rely on my faith or your faith. And it's in those times when we need our faith and the faith of those who've gone before us, the prophets and, and the scholars and the saints and the martyrs, faith of the people who have already faced everything we could have possibly faced and and still kept walking in that faith. As the people made their way through the dry riverbed of the Jordan, they they passed by the priest, and, and these priests were the ones who led them into the flowing Jordan and who stayed there between those waters, holding the Ark of the Covenant on poles on their backs. Step by step, the people walk by this beautifully constructed reminder of God's presence with them place where God resided, the embodiment of that promise that God would be with them. When they all reach the other side, God commands Joshua to have 12 stones taken from the riverbed, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and to build a monument with these stones so that one day when their children ask, what are these stones they would be able to tell them of the time that the Jordan was cut off and they walked on the dry riverbed into the promised land and that God was with them. 
There's something about monuments, about, about memorials that I want to hold on to. Uh, last year, I, I finished the audiobook of Isabel Wilkerson's amazing book. It's uh, called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. And I was reminded of it uh, again this week. And so it's a brilliant book that explores America through the lens of a caste system, a rigid hierarchy of human rankings. And I highly, highly recommend it. It's a book that both challenged me and offered me a new way of thinking about race and equality and equity. But towards the end of the book, Wilkerson, she, she writes about Nigel Dunkley. And he's, he's a former British officer who's now a historian of Nazi Germany, who, who, who they drove along what is left of the Berlin Wall. And on that trip that Wilkerson took to Germany, Dunkley drove around pointing to the various memorials and monuments, commenting, we, we have a memorial to everyone victimized by the Nazis. There's a memorial to homosexuals who perished. There's a, a memorial to the Sinti and the Roma. We have lesser memorials to lesser groups, and we have then have these stumbling stones. And apparently, as you walk through the cities of Europe, there's more than 70,000 of these stumbling stones that have been forged and placed throughout. Right? These stumbling stones being micro-memorials of discrete brass squares the size of one's palm, and they're embedded among the cobblestones in front of houses and apartments where the victims whose names are inscribed on them are known to have last lived before being abducted by the Gestapo. Here lived Hildegard Blumenthal, born 1897, deported 1943, died in Auschwitz, and so forth. She later writes that this history of the Nazi period is a mandatory part of every school curriculum, even for grade school students, and there are reminders everywhere. And she writes, that's not to say that everyone is in agreement as to the lengths to which the country goes to reinforce this history. What seems not in contention is the necessity of remembering. Pick up these stones and build a monument for when these children ask, what are these stones for? The necessity of remembering. Church, how has God been faithful to you? How have you relied on the faith of those who have gone before you in times of challenge and struggle? And how do you remember the ways God is faithful to you? How do you remember those who have gone before you? We're going to read the names of those who have passed into life eternal from our church family. And, and you'll have a chance to say the names of those who you remember who have joined the cloud of witnesses. And for every name that we read or say aloud, we remember we remember the stories they tell of seasons gone. And we remember those stories for seasons to come. We remember the stories of God's faithfulness in their lives, in the life of our community, in our lives. We remember the stories of their commitment and devotion to God and to community. 
And I give thanks. I give thanks to God for all those who have gone before us, for their legacy, for their impact on our lives, and for the challenge to keep moving as we step forward in our journeys of faith. Holy One, we pause to remember the lives of those who have gone before us, for those who have joined the cloud of witnesses before us, who continue to live on in our hearts and in our spirits, their legacy compelling us to continue to live by faith. We ask that you would continue to remind us of the legacy they leave, and that we too would join in your unending story, the story of your faithfulness from the beginning of time to now, and the story that will continue on even after we are gone. We pray for your spirit to journey with us, and for every obstacle and challenge that we face, we may be reminded of the memorials and monuments that we've built in our hearts and in the life of our community of when you have always been there. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. How do you remember God's faithfulness? I, I hope that that's a question that sticks with you and stays with you throughout the week as you too remember those who have gone before you, that you remember their legacy, and that you remember the ways in which they inspire you to continue to live out your faith. Uh, have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next week as we launch our generosity series. Talk to you then.